Hi, this is Jackie Miller, your host of Out of Crazy Town, your guide to divorcing a narcissist and founder of Jackie Miller Coaching, where you can find me at JackieMillerCoaching.com. Welcome back to part two of my interview with guest Tracy Malone, founder of NarcissistAbuseSupport.com, where you can find important information and find many tools to support you on your journey as you heal from narcissistic abuse. In our discussion, we will continue to explore the behaviors of narcissists in relationships and hear Tracy's own stories as they relate to those behaviors. All right. Hello, Tracy Malone, and welcome back to Out of Crazy Town, your guide to divorcing a narcissist, part two, which has to do with your book that's coming out soon. You can't make this shit up. <laughs> it's fun to say it, isn't it? <laughs> fun to say it. And when you've heard so many stories, you just, they're not funny, but you have to giggle because they're so outrageous. And at some point when, you know, when you've been through it and, you know, speaking with other Sir Thrivers, which again, your term I love. Yeah. At some point you just have to go, oh my gosh, is this for real? I had three people in one day say that to me and I'm like, okay, that's the name of the book. Like, you know, everything aside, divorcing a narcissist, you can't make this shit up because that is what everyone feels. They come in onto the camera and they're just like, you're not going to believe this. And, and I'm like sitting here going, okay, check, heard it a hundred thousand times now, right? It, it, it is very similar stories, but I never cease to be amazed at, at how low they can go in destroying the survivor. Absolutely. And your website, as I mentioned before, is such an unbelievable wealth of information. I just applaud you for all the work that you've done and everything you've done to just put as much information out there on any possible, um, you know, subject that could come up with narcissistic abuse and it's NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. And you can also get a mug on your website. Am I right? That says you can't make this shit up. Uh, you can't make this shit up or a survivor mug. <laughs> I'm going to definitely have to get one of those. I love it. I love it. So you just said something that's, um, that's so true. And I want to sort of lead into this now about the narcissist and the, schemes and scams that they can come up with mm -hmm. they're just they're they're mind-blowing and it's kind of one of those things it's like that you want to say hey if you put all that energy into something positive you'd just be so you'd be <laughs> you'd do so well in life because i can't even imagine the mental energy that it takes to come up with some of this stuff and execute it i'm sure you've come across some crazy stories what do you have for me Absolutely. So, you know, when it, when it comes to the scheming and scamming, there's, there's an underlying word, lies, right? They're sitting there and they are, um, you know, lying to people to scam them. They're lying to this person, to that person. And so as a person watching this, I was so confused by this because as I said in our first episode, my in-laws and ex-family were very wealthy. They, they lived in a 30,000 square foot house with 26 bedrooms, okay? Not many people in America live in a house like that. And they lived well. Again, we had $100,000 vacations several times a year with them. And then they would pretend to be poor to certain people. Mm. We would go to these events, particularly with his family, um, his, his like father's side of the family, and they would... <laughs> They would lie. So like the first thing I'm thinking of this trip to California where we um, all arrived in San Francisco for a wedding that was going to be in Monterey in a week. But in San Francisco, we stayed in a very, very expensive hotel. We would have 400 
$400 bottles of wine to $1,000 bottles of wine. It was just, you know, private drivers taking us places. It was, it was at the top of the line. And then we would go to the wedding with the family in Monterey where they also had their money, but they rented out the entire marriage, you know, the whole, um, the whole aquarium, right? And Monterey Bay Aquarium for 40 guests. That's a big ass wedding for that. But they would take off the five carat diamond earrings they wore all week. We were not allowed to tell people that we had just been in San Francisco. They would make the family pay for the airline ticket so we could go to their nephew's wedding. And they would wear ripped clothing. I wanted to wear like the normal, like let's wear a cute little black dress to the wedding. No, we have to look this way. His sister would look like um, Little House on the Prairie. And his mother also, father would wear suits with holes in them. And I would leave and I'm like, what is happening? Why, why? It, that was the, the cognitive dissonance. And I never understood it. And, and it was to scam them out of money, to scam the family out of money, pretending they were poor. And I would just be like, well, this doesn't make any sense at all. Like, I don't understand. And that was like that whole thing throughout the entire marriage was something that just confused the heck out of me because it was not really the way they lived. And yet, but on this false pretense and, and his mother was a mastermind. She definitely was a sociopath and would craft different stories for different people. And when we'd see them, whether it was a very, very famous person or a, a king, like there was a story for the king and there was a story for the famous people. And then there was a different story about who they were and what they did for the family. Right. And, um, you know, it, it just was such a, a contradiction, but they were scheming and um, they had a, a fake grandfather during their, uh, during my, my 10 years with them. Wasn't really the grandfather, but they scammed him out of $10 million. Oh my. Yeah. Now, remember they were rich. They didn't need to do this. So um, that was kind of like, you know, like, again, why are you taking this, you know, man's money? Right. And, and you, there is such a huge tick, I guess, for lack of a better word, that narcissists have around money, right? And, and that is where you end up seeing a lot of the schemes. Um, and as it relates back to divorce, um, some of the lawyers I work with, they said, we always, we don't always, but there's a big red flag when we come in and a client tells us that her soon-to-be ex is self-employed, sort of an investor, sort of, you know drives around in $100,000 cars, lives in a home that costs millions and millions of dollars and makes $40,000 on his tax return. Therefore, there's going to be almost no alimony, you know, and it's just like, oh my God. Yeah. And just what they try to get away with on the divorce side as well Mm -hmm. is like the story that you just outlined. Wow. You can't make it up. I mean, it really, it's, it's not believable. It's not you know, when they're when they're like entertaining, you know, the curators of the Museum of Natural History for dinner and, you know, donating this beautiful thing for the museum and, you know, and then, you know, they they just run around the house naked. It was so weird. I was like, what is going on here? But the, the, the amount of the, the, the crazy stuff that I saw, and I have a, a chapter in my book on divorcing a rich person, because you made that very valid point is it's different. Mm-hmm. It is so different. The war is on because they're so protective of that money. You know, it's not ours after 20 years of marriage. Let's split it nicely. I earned it. You get nothing. Mm-hmm. 
I don't care if they're a doctor and lawyers are the worst. Um, they, they, they attack with such venom because they're rich. It's sport. Yeah, it is sport. And that is so well said. It's unfortunate. But once you realize what's happening, you've entered a divorce and you're understanding a little more about who your your spouse was or is as a narcissist. The road ahead of you is long and rocky, but we're here. There's a lot of us out here here to help you, but it's it's just not going to be pretty. They just it, they're just out to win. It is about having a W in their column. That's it. Nothing mm -hmm. else matters. Not the kids. Mm -hmm. Not you know nothing. And another part of that, I think, which I also I think ties in with the money, is their image is everything. Mm -hmm. So in fact, that's part of why. So, you know, people are chosen as the victim or, you know, to be their narcissistic supply because you, I can guarantee you, you should be flattered. You must have amazing qualities. You're attractive. You're smart. You're funny. You're obviously forgiving and nice. Um, but you're an amazing person if you've been chosen by a narcissist because you're, you're a reflection of them. So they need you to be awesome out there in the world so they can say you're theirs. You're a reflection of who they want to be want to be thank you you are making them look good by being all those things look at my arm candy i have a psychiatrist for a wife you know and and let's not forget that there are narcissistic women out there that batter and abuse men yes. it's that's absolutely true and i yes i don't mean to leave out um any men in this equation that are suffering this because there are definitely women out there that are capable of all of these things and are narcissists and I uh, want to go back to something that we started to talk about a little bit in part one of this, but lots of times, and not just at the end of the relationship or the marriage, but we do often see it here, smear campaigns start. So once you've sort of injured that narcissist or they've caught wind now that you're out of here or that you're not going to put up with their crap anymore, they need to take you down. And this also ties into the scorch the earth. They're going to start the smear campaigns and flying monkeys, another term, right, that, that we love to use are one of their many tools. So I'm, you know, I know I have lots of stories and I'm sure you do too, but walk us through. So a, a smear campaign hurts so much because it's based on a lie, right? So that's the part that like, besides when we go from like smear campaign to false allegations, like that's when they're accusing you of something to then, then the next level, which is, um, you know, smearing you and telling everyone how bad you are. So they're taking the lie and then the false allegation and then they're spreading it around and, and telling everyone that you've done this. And they always start with the most important people in your life, no matter what the situation is. They, they know that, they, they are targeted to that. But they're also testing your friends or testing your family. Who can, who will believe this? Because they planted this seed for years in your friends, you know, just saying little things. And, and I know people that have had this happen where, you know, they're at a dinner party or out at a restaurant and, and the narcissist stays at the table and the other person goes away. And, you know, the, the narcissist says to everyone, I'm so worried about her drinking, you know, and then the, the, then he planted that seed. And then another time it comes on, oh boy, she really got drunk last night and ha ha ha. But it's planting that seed so that later on they can call you a drunk, right? This is just the, the, the thing of, of how that smear is born because it doesn't just start. It has been implanted for years and years and they know which ones of your friends are going to be good to, to 
push this poison to because they're the ones that laughed and go, oh yeah, she does drink all the time. They're the ones who showed that sort of ha-ha laugh at that, but they were the ones that they, they were gonna do it. A true friend, a friend that, that a sister that's going to, you know, protect you is going to go, you know what? She doesn't really drink that much. And, you know, she had two drinks tonight. So stop saying that stuff. That's not very nice. That's what a true friend would say. But when you're in a big party situation and they're just dropping these tiny little bits, um, it does corrupt the mind of people. And those that can be corrupted will become flying monkeys and be used to further damage you and, and hurt everything about you because right. you and it is effective, like you said, and so strategic to go after people close to you because especially in the context of divorce that is so devastating already, it keeps you in the fetal position, which is exactly where they want you. They want you completely overwhelmed, emotional, um, unable to operate or function so that they can take advantage of you, you know, from a divorce standpoint as much as possible. And so I hate to say it, but brace yourself for it. <laughs> If you're entering this arena um, and just, you know, I like to say we may not always be able to avoid the potholes of life, but if we know they're coming, at least we can brace for them. So that's why I think it's another good reason to talk about these things and, you know, just amongst ourselves and educate everyone. And I, I started this whole thing off with love bombing because it's sort of how these relationships often start. But even before the love bombing and before the relationship, there was a reason you were chosen and you have labeled this green flags, which I love. So explain to us what green flags are. Sure. So, so I have this course on my website, which is called change the story because people come to me after, you know, one of these types of relationships and um, they finally decide to go out and date. And I always find that a lot of people who have been in this abusive relationship have been in more than one. It's not their first rodeo. And so they're going, I don't want to attract it again. I don't want to do it again. How can I not do that? And I, I believe that it, it's, it's in our story on that first coffee date or the subsequent ones from there that they're, they're prodding us with questions that seem so innocent on the inside. You know, they're just like, oh, so tell me about your family. Oh, they don't live here. Oh, you don't have Christmases with them. Oh, you know. And so they're, they're prodding you with the story to see if you're a good candidate, because if you don't have a strong support system, you're the weak link and, and you're a good target because it's a lot easier to disengage you and isolate you from family that's kind of remote than someone with a strong family. And so they, they're sitting there picking this, but um, the, the green flags in those conversations that are, you know, again, just out of the box, normal conversations, we're giving them too much information. And again, how do we know they're narcissistic? We don't, but we don't have to share our same story with anyone who hasn't earned the right to hear it. And yet we're sitting there and we, we story bar. We, we come out of the gate and we're like, I'm recovering from a divorce and there was a very abusive abort and oh, you know, my husband cheated on me and, and, and all of this stuff. When we say that our, our spouse cheated on us and we stayed, a healthy person is gonna be like, well, that's weird, why'd she stay? But a narcissist is going to come out of the gate with empathy. Oh, I'm so sorry. My wife did that too. So you like feel like you've got this instant connection and a bond that is based on a lie. Mm -hmm. um, so I tell my people when they're looking at these, these flags that they're dropping on the field, you know, like you, you stayed with your husband. You think you're telling a hero story. 
you know, I believe in marriage and, and I stayed because I, I'm a good Christian and I believe that you make it work. The narcissist is going and green flag. I actually pulled one out for you. Green flag. They pull it out and go, awesome. I can cheat and she'll stay. She tolerated that and she stayed. Look what a people pleaser. Look how she doesn't have boundaries. All of those clues were dropping into those conversations and they're very intentional about finding this information out. Mm -hmm. People ask me, well, I did have a crazy ex. Like, what if this guy turns around and says he had a crazy ex too? And I, I say, what's the difference between your story and his story? Do you know? I don't. We will have learned a lesson. We will have learned that we didn't know about narcissists. We would have learned that we didn't have self-love. We didn't know boundaries. We didn't know how to say no. There's so many pieces in it that come from this experience. If we do our work, we have learned stuff about ourselves. Family. I have a narcissistic family. Didn't even know it, right? I was wounded. And that's what I will take away from it. If you say that to the person on the coffee date, when they say they have a crazy ex, you say something like, that must have been so hard. How did you deal with that? And they go, well, what did you learn from that? And they go, I learned that she's a blankety blank, blank, blank. And I'm you know, so lucky to be away from her. They haven't done their work. Oh. They haven't looked inside. And I'm not saying victim blaming or something, but we were picked for a reason. We need to understand that. And so that is part of the story. And we have to understand that we don't get that out. And I think that that's so important because if you're doing some self-discovering, self-reflection, thinking about these things ahead of time and how, like you said, you're going to retell your story, really think about it. Maybe say it out loud, role play, you know, but it's true because, you know, when you're the people pleaser and you have these automatic responses to people please, you have to practice to stop that. I tell people to craft a story that is going to help them. Um, I, I tell them to go with three buckets. So this could be friends, dates, close friends, you know, the whole gamut. I tell them to put all their friends into three buckets. The low bucket is like the church people, the work people, and you craft a story for them. They don't need to know everything about your life because mm. when you share this story of your horrific divorce with your coworkers, it's, it just immobilizes you. You're sitting there at work and you can't even get your work done because you've just like been in the break room and you're like, oh, and this happened, this happened, this happened, right? You're triggering yourself and you're giving these people more information than they needed. So craft a story. You know what? We grew apart. Things didn't work out. I'm all good. You don't need to give them any more information. So craft the same sort of dating stories. What are you going to say? What what would you say? And then go, maybe I shouldn't say he cheated or I was in an abusive relationship or how do you take out the emotion of a story and still have it be genuine and true, but, but not give away all of the keys to the car of, of what you've tolerated or what kind of things that have happened in your life. They don't need to know yet. Have date three, have date five, and then the truth will come out. I'm not telling people to lie. Right. Protect the story. And so I think I understand what you're saying because it's, they have to move to the bucket where they deserve to hear that story. Those are intimate details. Right. Exactly. And then yet when we're, when we're coming out of a, a victim situation, when we have figured this out and gotten through a horrific divorce and come out the other side, um, we, we need validation. Yeah. People need validation. And they just think if I tell it to this person and he understands them, then, then he'll know where I'm coming from. I want to get him to know that right away. Right. Right. And I, 
I'm kind of a nerd and I love understanding the science behind this. And um, one of the things I've written about on my blog is that when you keep telling that negative story, you literally physiologically build pathways in your brain, right? And, and it's a negative pathway. And the more you use it, just like a road or a street be can become a super highway. And the only way to shrink it is to not use it as much. And, but you have to make an effort to have a positive thought or tell a different story instead of that one and build your positive pathway, you know, and it shows, it shows how far along you are in healing, right? It really does. If you look at like, if, if you were to have fallen out of a tree and broken your arm and you go back to work and you tell everybody, there's all this anxiety, there's all this you know, not drama, but emotions in it. You're like, and then I fell out of a tree and they had to come and get me with an ambulance. Blah, blah, blah. You know, you're story barfing everything that happened. A year from now, you're going to look at the scar and go, yep, fell out of a tree. No, well, you know, that's where we want to get. We want to get down to that diluted story. Still told them you fell out of a tree, but it doesn't have that emotion. So whenever you're thinking about crafting this new story, a new beginning, leave the past in the, in the past. Yep. What you want it to look like. Go for your dreams. Go for the ideal situation. This is going to help you move on and let go of some of the stuff because every time we tell it, we're injuring ourselves. Absolutely. And I think it's a great way to wrap this up because we talked about beginnings of relationships. We've gone through the red flags, but or I'm sorry, the green flags and the red flags. And then the point being, not only can there be a light at the end of the tunnel, you can change your story. You mm -hmm. can just start telling a new one. And everything you described too also involves boundaries. And, uh, you know, it's something that if you're caught up in this situation, you're probably going to have to practice as well. So thank you for covering and running the gamut with me, telling your story, sharing so much, your courage, and just, again, all the work that you've put into this. Please go to NarcissistAbuse.com. Or, I'm sorry, would you say your website for me? <laughs> NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. I'm on it every five minutes. I should be able to say it. It's so amazing. It truly the browser is. browser knows it. That's all that matters. If you just uh, Google Tracy Malone too, she pretty much pops up at the top of every Google page because she's oh, much yeah. more. Uh, everyone out here, we're really appreciative um, of all the work that you've done. And thank you for being on the podcast today. And I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Tracy.